everybody. This is Anna Ryan from The Overrun. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about uh, some self-defense practices in EMS. I'm joined by Ed Van Wagner. Uh, he is an instructor for DT4 EMS, a fantastic program that if you haven't heard of before, you certainly will now. So let's get into this. Ed, let's uh, hear a little bit about yourself and uh, what your background is. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Anna. So uh, a little bit about me. I started in EMS uh, about 30 years ago, uh, began as an EMT while I was in college, uh, completed my medic certification about 22 years ago. Uh, let's see, uh, worked in a number of urban environments, uh, Newark, uh, Elizabeth, Jersey City, later on, uh, all of them in New Jersey, obviously. Uh about 15 years ago, I decided to complete my registered nurse license and uh, worked in the ICU capacity for quite a number of years and eventually came back to the street because I started off as an EMS person and that's what I am down to the bone. So that's where I am now. I'm not going to lie. When you started saying that, I, all I thought of was like jets. When you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. No? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> So cool. All right. Tell us a little bit about this, uh, this program. So DT Freemus is a program that's been run nationwide. Uh, it's about 25 years old. It was started by a gentleman named Kip Tsort, who uh, was a full-time police officer and also a full-time paramedic. And uh, he saw the need to uh, uh, create a program that really addressed the needs of healthcare workers, uh, and the violence that they face on a regular basis. Uh, he started off in the military, uh, eventually uh, got into law enforcement as well as EMS. And uh, he had always said that like everybody would ask, hey, Kip, what do I do in this situation? What do I do in that situation? And he had a pretty significant self-defense background uh, in addition to his law enforcement and uh, uh, his paramedic education. And he figured out very quickly that EMS workers, healthcare workers really have to address and deal with violent situations or potentially violent situations in a completely different manner than other professions, including law enforcement, military, combat sports, and what have you. So he created this program to really tailor the needs to the uh, medical providers. And 25 years later, uh, it's changed hands to the CEO, uh, currently Jason Brooks, who has continued to promote it. And um, I'm glad to be a part of it. I'm very supportive of the program and uh, its cause. That's great. And I have a, I, we actually have some, some personal experience where we started to bring this program into our uh, EMT initial class because it is, it's that important. Um, so, but when I think, when I first started looking for a, uh, a self-defense component to the program that we're, that we're running, um, what I thought of was, you know, hitting things, punching things, running away as fast as I can. And DT4 EMS has a very different philosophy. So why don't you fill us in on that? Well, yeah, there's definitely a aspect of that in the course. Uh, but the course that we run is much more encompassing. And uh, it really shows that it's been around for a very long time because it has been refined, uh, uh, restructured, uh, really just uh, um, honed to the point that it is right now. There's so much about the course uh, that we could talk about. At the end of the day, it's really a 40-hour course that's compressed into a two-day 
16-hour curriculum. So it's very fast-paced. Uh, the students are up and down. It's about, at this point, I'd say half classroom, uh, half lecture, and half physical. And it involve, it really encompasses every aspect of potentially violent encounters. Everything from uh, understanding the nature of potentially violent individuals, being able to assess them to try and uh, uh, determine whether or not they are a threat, how to manage uh, patients who are potentially violent, uh, how to escape the situation, uh, the legal implications of all the actions involved. Uh, so it really takes into account, into account every aspect of it. And it's a very, it's a, quite a challenge to teach it because there's so many different things that you need to really understand on a base and advanced level that uh, it makes it quite a challenge, but it's a fun challenge and I enjoy doing it. So what is it that actually drew you to, to, to trying to teach this class? It seems like it's, it's pretty all encompassing. Do you have background? Uh, well, personally, I mean, in addition to my medical background, I mean, when I was younger, uh, did a lot of combat sports, uh, karate, Aikido, I did a little bit of judo, um, actually got my black belt in a Vietnamese form of uh, martial arts. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed it, but I didn't really, it didn't have that much practical application to when I started uh, heavily into EMS. Uh, I was really good at punching a brick in half and doing things along those lines. Uh, but when I was faced with intoxicated individuals who were yelling in my face or domestic situations inside a house, it, it didn't really reflect very well on a practical application to working in the medical field. And right from the beginning, it was very interesting that I found it to be uh, uh, quite challenging that most of the stuff that I had been taught, most of the techniques, most of the uh, uh, maneuvers really didn't have a practical application to dealing with medical patients on medical calls. So there was a, a significant amount of time during the beginning of my career where I just was kind of at a loss. I was like, well, you know, this is what I was taught to do in this situation. And a lot of it was very offensive. A lot of it was very hard. A lot of it was very uh, control and dominance directed, but it really didn't deal that much with managing uh, complex medical situations where high emotions were involved. There was like that disconnect between the two. And it wasn't until much later on when this course came along that I realized that we are not trained really to deal with the situation at all in our medical training. I mean, I can vouch uh, as a trained EMT, a trained paramedic, a trained registered nurse, uh, that all of my education really had nothing to do with the simple concept of assessing potentially violent situations, uh, triaging them, managing them if at all possible. And I think the biggest aspect or the one that's really the most difficult to teach is what to do when we go hands-on, what to do when we end up in a situation where these people are already making contact with us, potentially attacking us, and how am I to respond to that in a manner that not only protects myself at that particular moment, but down the line from a legal aspect, from a media aspect, uh, all the different uh, components of a potentially violent situation. Okay. So if there's, um, we're going to get personal here. Is there a specific event that drew you to, to this type of education? Uh, there definitely was. Um, back in uh, 2011, I was working and uh, 
an individual attacked me. Uh, I was kicked in the face and uh, fell backwards, and I struck my head on the tile floor. I was apparently unconscious for about five minutes, uh, from what people tell me. And unfortunately, due to it, I incurred a uh, traumatic brain injury. I ended up with a short-term memory loss for uh, quite a number of days. And it was, it was pretty bad, I have to admit. I mean, uh, you know, I couldn't remember what I was doing five minutes before for days. I uh, started making eggs at home and I almost burnt my house down. Um, I left my door open, which I never do because I have a special needs son. And he ended up uh, just walking over to the next town. The police uh, ended up picking him up and thank God brought him back to me. Uh, driving on the wrong side of the road. It really was very shocking and eye-opening that uh, uh, I ended up having a cerebral contusion, and that was what was causing the short-term memory loss. And I remember sitting with my wife at home and sitting, saying, you know, what are we going to do? Because I'm a paramedic, I'm an ICU nurse, my jobs require me to be able to remember what I was doing five minutes before, and really to be realistic about it, what job can you do without a short-term memory? So at that point, I was completely disabled. And uh, the neurologists basically said, we're not sure if this is going to be permanent or if it's going to linger or what's going to happen. So it was very traumatizing in the aspect that as a father of three children, I could no longer provide for them. Um, and it was due to this attack. I was very lucky in that it the symptoms slowly but surely resolved and uh, 99% back to the way I was prior to the incident. But uh, that definitely had a lasting impact on me and uh, really spurred me, in addition to the uh, many coworkers over the years who have been assaulted and injured, uh, to me to look for a course like this. And uh, I was very lucky to have found it, and that's why I promote it so heavily. I think you bring up a really good point, too, is that you already said that, uh, you know, friends and colleagues and stuff like that who have also been attacked. So this has merit in uh, a lot of other aspects of the field in general. Um, not everyone is gonna be lucky enough to have this in initial training, and I think that most of us don't. So what is it that you would suggest as far as bringing this sort of education to healthcare providers or anyone who really works in medicine? Well, I always say it, you know, half joking and half not, but I can't wait for the day when I'm put out of business. Um, I can't wait until this type of training, this program is incorporated completely into the initial EMT program, uh, reinforced in the uh, uh, advanced life support education, and also where it becomes mandatory training for intra-hospital healthcare workers. I mean, the uh, the nurses, the physicians inside the hospital, especially in the uh, you know psychiatric departments, the emergency rooms, uh, they're being attacked just as much, if not more, than the EMS providers. So I would ideal, ideally, I would love to see this become a mandatory type of training for everybody. And I can't really understand why it isn't. I mean, as an example, with EMT training, with EMT basic training, as you know, you have to do hazmat training. We all understand that hazmat training is a component of the training. It's built in, and everybody understands that. And hazmat situations do happen, but they're sort of a low-frequency, high-liability event. Um, and there's many other aspects to the training that also fall into those categories. Violence in healthcare, specifically violence in EMS, is a high-frequency, high-liability uh, issue. Uh, to be honest with you, anytime that I'm running this class, and I ask the people in the room, how many people have been assaulted? 
well over 80% raise their hands. And then when I say how many people know of somebody in this profession who's been assaulted, uh, literally 100% of the individuals put up their hands. It happens all the time. It's an epidemic in this field. And I don't understand quite honestly why it has not been mandated for every healthcare worker out there. Do you think that this is more of a liability problem for like the, the hospitals or the, the, the medical corporations, or do you think this would be something that would benefit them? Well, to be honest with you, I think it's pretty obvious when you take a very objective look to it that this type of training is 100% a insurance policy to the healthcare systems uh, as well as to the insurance companies. Uh, my father, who worked in workers' comp for about 40 years, uh, and I have talked about it quite a bit, and it's one of those things that it's a matter of being pennywise pound foolish. If you don't train people, then they're going to react in less than optimal ways. One way that I put it is that if you are, if you are set upon in a high-pressure, potentially violent situation, as with any type of high pressure situation, you're going to fall back on your train. If your training is substandard or inappropriate for the situation, you're not going to respond as well as you should to that situation. If you've had no training in it, especially in, in violent situations, you're going to fall back on your primal instincts. And the big problem with the primal instincts is that they're not measured, they're not quantified. At the end of the day, when somebody is attacked, uh, when it goes hands-on, when uh, they have a violent person uh, who's potentially looking to do them harm, they have to respond in a reasonable and proportional manner. And a huge component of this course is dialing in on that as to what is a reasonable and proportional response to a particular uh, violent situation. As an example, if uh, you're shoved or, say, somebody uh, spits on your pants, if you then turn around and take your you know, computer and strike them in the head, well, you just responded with deadly force to something that was not necessarily a um, assault that warranted that. Make no mistake, you've been assaulted. And we talk quite a bit about how important it is to report those assaults. But you were not acted upon with deadly force, especially if that person started to back off. So your response was inappropriate and you can be held legally liable for that. So let's go into some of the legalities too, because there is a difference in some of the speech that you guys use uh, in the course itself. Um, and I don't think we actually think of our patients as uh, as anything other than patients when we're dealing with them. So where's the distinction that happens that starts to protect us a little bit more, if that's something you could talk about? So there's a huge difference between, uh, and I think this is where the uh, is a major disconnect uh, and shows where the training is necessary. There's a huge difference between what we would refer to as a patient and an attacker or an aggressor. And what makes the difference is whether or not you're on a safe scene. Now, in New Jersey, we're governed under Title 841, as you well know, which is our, um, our statutes for everything related to EMS, from what is stocked in a BLS truck to paramedic protocols, uh, including critical care transport. It's quite a large document. And it specifically is written in Title 841 that you are not to remain on an unsafe scene. You are to leave that scene and you are to stage. You're only held legally liable for patient abandonment if you go available for other calls. So 
it's written right into our legislature that as EMS workers, we are not to remain on unsafe scenes. And a huge component of this is determining from our assessment if this individual is posing a threat to us or do we have high suspicion that they're going to pose a threat to us, in which case this is an unsafe scene. It's very difficult sometimes to get that point across to caregivers because they're caregivers. They got into this profession because they care about people, because they want to help. And sometimes that compulsion to help can weigh them down a little bit. In addition to that, there is obviously in this very litigious society, a major component of uh, fear of being held legally liable if they walk away. So when we talk at length about, well, or what we talk at length about, I should say, is the difference between a patient and an attacker or an aggressor. And once the person crosses that line, we really try to emphasize to the students that you no longer have a legal liability, legal responsibility to be there. At that point, you need to leave this scene and you need to stage. So I think that that's really, it's a concept that like isn't normally stressed, right? So like if we're, if we're in an initial class, especially for in our initial EMT class, a lot of our uh, stress comes on to, you know, we breeze over those first 12 steps where it's, you know, BSI scene safety, number of patients, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then we, we kind of don't take into account that like the scene itself can start to change. Uh, it's part of our assessment process that, you know, you're always, your head should always be on a swivel, but we never actually teach them what to do once you catch something. So I think that that's, um, I think that makes this training like super relevant. What about the, uh, the other providers that the uh, DT, DT4 EMS would, would reach? I know we're, we're talking a lot about EMTs and paramedics and, and that kind of thing, but do you do anything for nurses or firefighters or anyone else who would be encountering the public? So absolutely. Uh, this course is not only designed for uh, EMS providers, but there's also a uh, healthcare provider component for uh, intra-hospital personnel, physicians, nurses, uh, patient care techs, and whatnot. There's also a uh, another version that we use for educational professionals, such as school teachers. Uh, there's a community version for uh, uh, called uh, Escaping Violent Encounters for Women that we use. Uh, and we're looking to actually create another one for uh, home health aides and visiting nurses because they're finding themselves uh, sometimes the victims of potential violence, you know, going into uh, going into someone's know, home, sure. Individuals' homes, which really is what we do as uh, EMS providers also. Really, anyone who works in a patient care environment is a potential victim of these uh, violent situations. And a huge component, a huge aspect of getting uh, people protected is really just addressing the dirty little secret in healthcare, which is the violent nature of what we do. And everybody is a potential victim, and all of them deserve the training. Okay. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break here to share with you another one of Dr. Peter Antevi's Pediatric Pearls, exclusively on the Overrun. Hope you learned something. Hey, everyone. This is Dr. Peter Antevi with another Pediatric Pearl. Today, I want to talk about how do we assess children who are altered for whatever reason, they had a head injury, they're, they're, they're having meningitis, uh, they're just ill in general. 
how do you how do you know what's normal, what's not normal? And I think that really, first and foremost, you have to be able to come into the room and read the mother, read the mother or the father in this particular case. But the family always knows better than you how their child is. And so I walk into the room and I look at the child, whatever age your child is, when they see a foreign person, they should react, right? And the younger they are, the more that they'll maybe react negatively towards you. If you walk in and child's not even looking at you, not reacting towards you, then you should say to yourself, hey, there's something really wrong. But then you say to the mom, is your child acting as you would expect? And they often will give you the answer. So you, you have to not just be assessing the child, you have to be assessing the family as well. A big mistake people make is that it's two o'clock in the morning and the kids is asleep and they'll say, oh, we're just gonna let little Johnny sleep. Never, right? You wake them up. Um, for example, you would never leave my emergency department sleeping because I wanna evaluate you. Some physical exam findings that are very important are basic vital signs, right? Um, then you're actually gonna do just a good physical exam. And oftentimes you have children who are young, who the, the, that child has been shaken, but the family's not gonna come in and tell you that they've shaken their baby. So you have to be very astute in evaluating the fontanelle in an infant. Um, I will always kind of uh, flex the neck I'll have the child laying flat. I'll flex that neck up, you know, towards the chin, towards the chest. And if that child can't do that and just starts screaming in pain, then you know you have something else on your hands. Pupillary exam, neuro exam in general. Have the child get up and walk. Have the child stand up and jump. Take your time. Do the assessment. Look at the kid. Talk to the mother. Get the full picture and don't get biased one way or the other based on the story that they're telling you, especially when it could be a case of abuse. This has been Dr. Peter Antevi with another Pediatric Pearl. That was Dr. Peter Antevi with another Pediatric Pearl on the overrun. And now back to the show. All right. So this must be a class that like is just busting out the doors for uh, for enrollment, right? Uh, not exactly. And there's, uh, some specific reasons for it. Um, I think one aspect of it is definitely that in this day and age, people are very busy. Um, everybody's working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And I think another aspect of it is the misconceptions about this class. And we hear the same thing pretty regularly, and it goes from one side of the pendulum to the other. Uh, one, there's the assumption that the classes, um, really just, you know, another ineffective, loosey-goosey, um, very bland course uh, that doesn't have any practical application. And then the other group of people that uh, seem hesitant to take it uh, have the attitude of that it's some sort of like, you know, super physical, super hard uh, Krav Maga type of combat sport where they're going to get hurt. And they're afraid to take it because I wouldn't say afraid, but they're hesitant to take it because they're like, hey, I got to go to work Monday morning. I can't get injured taking some sort of like, you know, pseudo military class. So I think on both sides that a lot of people are just missing what this course is about in its essence. Okay. So take us through a class from, I don't want to say from start to finish because it's a 16 hour class, but give me the the gist of um, your Lecture portion versus your physicality portion. Well, that's a very good point. Um, 
one thing that we pride ourselves with this course is that not only does it involve a significant amount of uh, education uh, via PowerPoint, training videos, lecturing, but it also involves a lot of physicality. Uh, the students do remark that they're a little sore by the end of day two, but they're sore because they're constantly up, down, up, down, doing a lot of physical activity. Uh, our, our pride in this course is that we make it as absolutely realistic as possible while also maintaining a maximum level of safety. So our goal is to stimulate legitimate violent encounters, but at the same time, do it in an environment where people are safe. And the reason is that all of us instructors included have to be at work on Monday morning. Uh, we can't be injured any more than the students can. And actually, after uh, I think we're up to the sixth year in training in this in New Jersey, uh, we've had pretty much a zero uh, injury rate. Uh, one guy got poked in the eye by us. One of the young ladies had those vampire nails. And uh, just, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty gnarly. But he ended up OK. But, you know, that was a little, you know, he, he shouted and we looked and we're like, oh, my God, like guy lost an eye. But no, nah, he didn't really. But besides <laughs> that, the course has been the course has been without any injuries. And we're very proud of that. Uh, but at the same time, we make it a very firm point um, that when we grab the students, we're actually grabbing them. Mm -hmm. uh, when we have our hands on them, they they feel it like it is. If we uh, put our hands around a student's neck. We compress just enough that they feel that it could be realistic uh, without causing any injury whatsoever. So it requires a, a lot of training on the point of the instructors. Uh, my instructors have put dozens of hours of their personal time into training together and separately so that they have a very, very good uh, grasp on just how realistic we can make this. Mm -hmm. while eliminating any liability uh, to ourselves and to the student. So when it comes to uh, your instructors, do now my, my husband just went through your uh, instructor course and, you know, he went for a week and he came back bruised every day. It was very funny to watch. Um, but mostly it was. Well, that's OK. He strangled me, too. So we're, we're fair. <laughs> <laughs> Look, he got tossed by the shortest girl in the class last uh, last time. So that was funny, too. <laughs> um, come to GT4 EMS. We'll make tall people look silly. Um, so what does it take to become an instructor is really the question, because like you have a whole bunch of uh, martial art background and, you know, a lot of discipline in your life. But, you know, if I wanted to become an instructor, I have none of that. So what makes a good instructor isn't necessarily any type of uh, uh, major uh, combat sport experience or military experience, although that certainly does help because of all the physical aspects of it. Having a, having a good uh, background in that does help uh, to, to be able to convey and teach the techniques to the students, but it certainly is not required. Uh, quite a number of my instructors don't have any martial arts background, any military background, and uh, they're still excellent instructors. What it really comes down to is uh, uh, a matter of drive, passion, and also willing to dedicate just really what comes down to untold amount of hours. Um, this is not a, a canned course that just anybody could like read off the PowerPoints. It requires not only uh, a physical component involving being tossed, rolled, uh, slammed to the ground by the students, but it also requires just a, a vast amount of time uh, learning uh, 
federal law, Jersey law, uh, learning about the different uh, policies and procedures of hospitals and different health systems, uh, understanding uh, to a real intimate level all the different legalities and aspects uh, related to violence in EMS. And it takes quite a bit of time. And, uh, you know, I always joke that I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, uh, but it does take a certain amount of gray matter to learn all the stuff that you need to know for this course and then be able to accurately convey it to all different levels of specialists from patient care techs all the way up to surgeons. So it's it's definitely got a, a challenge to it that makes it, you're never going to be perfect at this. And it constantly requires um, more and more learning. And the students actually help us out too. I mean, they they ask questions and sometimes we kind of stand there. We're like, you know, we look at each other. And we're like, we're going to have to look that up. We don't know the answer to that. And, you know, we'll research it, find out the answer. And then that just reinforces us to the next class. Some of the some of the experiences that we've had with the EMT class is, uh, you know, the, the, the boys get all into the idea that they're going to, you know, throw hands and, you know, be able to fight them their way in the street. And the, the females tend to be a little bit more timid when it comes to like actually making moves. Um, I think that that's a lot of uh, just like American culture in the first place. You know, women are supposed to be docile. Um, and I think that some of it has to do with like, you know, being more aggressive with their peers. So at one point or another, it has to have, there has to be an aspect of empowerment that happens with this kind of program. Do you agree? Yeah, most definitely. And I think it's interesting that you should uh, bring up the different personalities. Uh, quite a number of different personalities exist in uh, the medical field, and they really run the gamut. And, you know, everything from the ultra alphas, and that could be male or female, to the more docile individuals, uh, individuals who are tremendously physically capable, uh, individuals who have prior experience, whether it's combat training, combat experience, uh, combat sports, uh, you really find all sorts of different individuals in the medical field. The good thing about this course is that it really addresses all of those individuals. And mm -hmm. literally, we've trained about, I think, 600 people so far since we started the program back in 2015. And we've got close to 100% satisfaction from all the individuals who have taken it. Everybody who takes this course finds value in it. And everything from the more smaller, maybe docile, less trained individuals, uh, they find it a tremendous amount of, like you said, empowerment in learning the skills necessary to sit to uh, protect themselves. And the larger, more capable individuals also get quite a bit out of it because they realize from the education, you know, what um, an overreaction could involve of mm. going way too far uh, when they're uh, set upon and really just not responding in a reasonable manner. So uh, I've definitely had people in the class who could kill me without even breaking a sweat. And <laughs> they find a tremendous amount of uh, value in the course because they realize that whatever your response is, it has to be reasonable and proportional to the situation. And the amount of legal uh, education we put into it uh, to help really just hone that down that, you know, Hey, it's great that you can do this and do that, but you know, you have to be proportionable and reasonable to the threat that's set upon you. Sure. So it, it definitely has aspects that, um, tailored to everybody and all different skill levels. 
And, you know, it's, it's one of the great things about the course that everybody finds value, but different people with different abilities find different qualities about the course that they find appealing. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the women's program that you were just talking about. I had, uh, again, this is my experience with this program has been strictly with the EMT program. Um, but I, you know, as a, uh, a coordinator for one of those programs, um, I get a lot of like 16 to 18 year old girls who are, you know, like a little flighty type of thing. I don't want to do this, my hair, my back, whatever. Um, and my answer to them is typically, you know, like you're going to get in there, you're going to get it on the mats because every frat boy is a gentleman, right? So what we want, <laughs> so I'm interested to hear a little bit more about their, their women's program. So the women's program is something that we offer. Um, it's a, it's a four hour version. I should, I should bring up that the, uh, the EMS and fire version, that is the one we're talking about primarily is a 16 hour course. Mm-hmm. The healthcare provider that is physicians, patient care tech inside the hospital. That is an eight-hour course. And the reason that it's eight hours is that it doesn't deal with uh, scene safety, approaching the scene uh, when you arrive. Like, you know, basically an ER is an ER and they're always working in the same emergency room or in the same psych ward and whatnot. So there's many aspects and dynamics uh, from parking your ambulance to approaching the scene that Healthcare providers inside don't have to, that, that's not their wheelhouse. So we do an eight hour program for the healthcare providers. So okay. for the uh, uh, Escaping Violent Counters for Women program, that's actually a four hour program that we do. And it's really more of a community service based uh, initiative. And I agree with you, having, having a 15 year old daughter myself, uh, I have, I suffer from complete paranoia over her safety. <laughs> Um, as a matter of fact, all of the training that I do related to this course, I actually do with my daughter. So I'm very proud of the fact my daughter can stop a full speed punch with relative ease because for the last uh, year to two years, she's one that I've been training with. So, you know, I would not train my daughter in these techniques and these practices if I didn't think that they had. And the fact that we have this program available that we can offer up to women who in this society do have a chance of being harmed. It's something that I'm very proud of and that we're ready to offer to anybody who wants to take it. Awesome. So if you guys have been teaching this for, you said this is a 25 year old program. It's a 25 year old program nationwide. We've been teaching it in New Jersey for about six years now. Okay. So there has to be some kind of proof of concept, right? So we have like at least one or two success stories out there. Oh, absolutely. We have many more than uh, two. I can uh, vouch for that. So uh, we initially started teaching this uh, in Jersey City. And, you know, as you well know, when you're dealing with uh, urban EMS personnel, they can sometimes be uh, very cynical, very hardened. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say closed minded, but uh, we, it was a bit of a challenge when we started off in an urban setting like that, because a lot of the uh, individuals who were being mandated to take the course, uh, they did not want to take it. Um, they felt very strongly that they were capable individuals, and they were, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, they're very good at they, their job, uh, but a lot of them felt like, what are you going to teach me? You know, I grew up in this area, or you know, I've been working here for 12, 15 years years um take a punch many of them would say and uh they didn't see any value in taking it any farther than that what was and, the uh what's the phrase that you use ed they were voluntold 
Uh, yeah, they didn't volunteer for the program. They were voluntold. So <laughs> that most definitely it was uh, what it was. And uh, being that it became uh, for this one particular system, a uh, mandate to keep their job, uh, they begrudgingly took it. And many individuals, uh, when they completed the course, as a matter of fact, everybody who completed the course said that it was uh, an excellent course and something that should have been uh, brought in years ago. As far as success stories, I can tell you that we had every instructor who was involved in this had individuals come up to them afterwards and uh, mention stories that you know, really just proved how valuable this course is. Uh, a very interesting aspect is that very, none of the stories, at least that were told to me, involved people going hands-on. A huge component of this course is the physicality, but another huge aspect is the tactics involved, the mental aspect, the assessments, the uh, being constantly aware of the legalities of what you're doing, uh, at what point you should break contact and stage, at what point you should absolutely leave a scene, uh, at what point you should be making the decision of, you know what, we need to leave right now. And of all the success stories, like I said, none of them involved physicality. In other words, when people came up to me afterwards, shaking their head like, hey, you know, I had this accident, this incident happened yesterday or last week. And man, it was like, your training really made a difference because I wouldn't have gotten out when I did. You really made me think. Uh, none of it involved uh, these individuals actually getting into physical confrontations. They avoided the physical confrontations. Hmm. And I take a personal amount of, um, uh, I wouldn't say satisfaction, but it's a very emotional thing for me, especially somebody who's been, been a victim of workplace violence and been injured. A difficult aspect of this course is that prevention many a time is not quantifiable. Um, if the Titanic hadn't hit the iceberg, would we really have known about it? Um, if it had been a near miss, the only reason we know about that incident is because the ship sank, um, and all those people died. Mm -hmm. So when these incidents, when these violent encounters are prevented, it's very difficult to quantify and point out to, uh, the powers that be, you know, just how advantageous this program is. You have right. to dig more for the data to show it, but there definitely have been a lot of success stories. Um, one in particular that we bring up during the course uh, pretty much very regularly uh, involved two providers. They were taking care of a, uh, a just, quote unquote, just another diabetic, an elderly woman who was laying on her bed, uh, was uh, squirming all over the place, was diaphoretic, uh, mumbling. And the one individual was trying to start the IV. The other individual was keeping his eyes open to what was going on. And a huge aspect of this course is watch the hands, keep an eye on the hands and see what they're doing. And the second provider noticed that as this uh, altered mental patient was like flailing around, she kept reaching up to the head of her bed and trying to get her hand under the mattress. So he ended up pulling the entire mattress down uh, along with the partner who wasn't too happy because he just got the IV <laughs> and behind uh, behind the mattress. Uh, they sent me a picture of it was multiple, uh, multiple knives and a meat cleaver. And oh. the handle of the meat cleaver was actually uh, positioned sticking up. Uh, so if she actually had gotten her hand on it, she would have had her hand on a meat cleaver. And the providers did point out to the instructors that they never would have thought about it unless it had been a part of the course. And I take that as a win that she didn't get her hand on that meat cleaver. And that didn't go from a, a quote unquote, just another diabetic call to a potentially violent encounter. Uh, there's been a number of incidents like that. 
and many of them much less dramatic. Uh, one individual that I worked with uh, who, you know, said that he walked in on a domestic situation and, you know, the cues that we teach in the course, the, uh, the uh, um, little hints that things were about to get out of hand started going off in his head and him and his partner got out just as the situation popped off and everybody started swinging. Wow. And this individual was on uh, heavy blood thinners because of a medical condition. And he pointed that out, that if he had been involved in this physical confrontation, there is a good possibility he could have been severely injured um, from a physical assault. So again, it's so hard to quantify these when they're misses, um, but they definitely have happened. And we've had many people bring them up over the years and it really emotionally affects me because I know that this has made a difference. And really, that's why we all got into this profession is to you know try and make a difference and improve people's lives. And by helping give the tools to our providers so that these uh, incidents are you know mitigated or completely avoided is uh, just tremendously gratifying. So the. The other half of this is uh, is not just the physicality side of it. So we we talk a little bit about how the the course is split, where it's lecture and then physicality. But the T in DT4 EMS is tactics. So is there any other tactics that the course starts to lend, or is it just you know find a you know don't go on a safe scene? Um, it the or are mostly uh, mental and behavioral tactics. The techniques, obviously, like you're saying, like involve the physical aspect of it, um, but much more deeper than just don't be on uh, as you well know, every single algorithm and every single practical that we deal with, the first thing it's asked is, you know, it's scene safety, BSI. Is the scene safe? Yes, it is. A huge aspect of this course is the fact that scene safety is dynamic. Uh, it can change in a moment's notice, and you need to constantly reassess, reevaluate, and act uh, according to the situation at that moment. A perfect example would be a uh, child who is struck by a car. Uh, you get dispatched, uh, ALS, BLS, rescue, you get out there, and you realize that it was a little girl with a hel helmet on, and she was mirror-tapped by the edge of the car. She got knocked down. She has some scrapes. Nothing too bad. She's inside. She's crying a little bit. Mom's there. Her aunt is there. They're calming her down. You're taking the report. And at that point, we bring up to the students, we're like, you know, does this seem like a safe scene? And of course, they say yes. Then the father comes home. He had just finished work. He was at the bar three blocks away. And somebody comes running in and say, you know, hey, Willie, your little girl just got run over by a car. There goes so Willie. What's that? So there goes Willie. Willie. No doubt about it. Nope. So Willie is running home and, you know, he's probably got, you know, four or five Jack and Cokes in him and he has to run three blocks home. All of a sudden he comes bursting through the door, hot, angry, pumping, screaming, where's my girl and what are you doing? So one of the things we bring up to the students is like, could this scene safety change on a dime just like that? And of course, all of them say yes. And that's what this whole sit, whole, uh, constant reevaluation is about is constantly being aware that scene safety could change at a moment and not only just how to evaluate that but also how to deal with that so a huge aspect is teaching the students about proper behavior about strong verbal skills about good solid customer service and really from a practical aspect that 
truly does um, address potentially violent encounters. And that's a huge portion of this course is not only assessing potentially violent encounters, but also be able to mitigate potentially violent encounters so that if you're on that balance beam and it has not become a violent situation yet, but everybody's highly emotional, upset, venting, screaming, how to deal with those situations so they don't push off in the wrong direction to a violent encounter. Because many of the time, the situations are really uh, made or broken by the attitudes and the behaviors and the reactions of the providers. As you well know, we work in a a profession where there's always going to be high emotion, where there's always going to be people who are upset. Uh, They're called emergencies for a reason. We don't make appointments for these things to happen. So everybody's (laughs) always upset on these types of situations. And one aspect that we really try to reinforce to the students is, is that it is their behavior, their tactics, and their skills, and their way of behaving that many of the time can make or break these situations. And that's something that is a huge component to avoiding uh, situations from becoming fraught, ever becoming violent. There's one aspect of the course that you guys uh, talk about is um, court of public opinion. So how is it that those of us who have had this training uh, understand that, like, you know, how we appear to the public in general is important to how it is that we're we're perceived. Um, Our actions, our reactions, that kind of thing. Can you go into a little bit more of that theory for us? Oh, absolutely. So there's a saying in this course that, you know, surviving a violent encounter doesn't stop when the fists stop flying, or at least that's my personal way of coining it. Um, At the end of the day, you know, the violent encounter is only one component of it. The way you react to a potentially violent encounter or a potentially stressful situation can have lasting and catastrophic effects towards your future. Mm. A perfect example of that would be uh, if you're working with your partner and, you know, somebody, uh, you know, you, you get this person to the hospital and on the way out, they spit on your partner's pants and start walking away and you get upset by the situation and they're walking away from you inside to the triage area and you shove them real hard. And the individual falls to the ground, strikes his head. You know, at this point, you've basically committed an assault. So we understand wholeheartedly why you would be upset by this situation. But because you acted in an emotional aspect uh, outside of what would be considered a reasonable response or proportional to the threat, you could now have a lawsuit on your hands. Right. So is there like uh, a specific like tactic that you want to kind of put out to the world right now without anyone taking the course? Oh, truthfully, I wish everybody would take the course. So like, I can't <laughs> pick one tactic because I'd like everybody to have it. Well, like a de-escalation tactic. It's one of those things where like you can, you know, we can use immediately on the streets. So the most important thing to remember is that the only person you can ultimately control is yourself. And it's your reaction to the situation that is going to dictate what your liability in this situation is. And your reaction has to be reasonable to the situation, not just physically, but also mentally. And the most important thing is to maintain self-control, maintain uh, appropriate professionalism at all times. And the course goes into quite a lot of detail on how to do that and how to really protect yourself from litigation. it's not just the court of public opinion that's a major concern, but it's also criminal courts, civil courts, 
really the, the media in its many different aspects and how we respond has to really be a win in all of those areas for us to actually uh, be successful uh, in surviving a violent encounter. You can survive the Oh, absolutely. And quite honestly, I mean, it's like you could, you could end up surviving a potentially violent situation, uh, but end up losing out in criminal court and civil court, uh, the way the media portrays it. Uh, even something just being videotaped and put on WorldStar could certainly uh, be a career ender. And the important thing to remember is that when you're videotaped and that video goes live, uh, before you even have a chance to have a phone call with your supervisor, that's already going to potentially go viral. And the events, and as we all know, the uh, the consequences to that could be pretty catastrophic towards your uh, future. Yeah, great. So I think we're coming up on a, on a hard out for this. So before we, uh, we call this it, um, the program again is DT4 EMS. Uh, that's Defense Tactics. Defense Tactics for EMS Providers. Uh, there's a whole litany of uh, reasons to take the course. Um, and if you haven't found one in this podcast, I hope you don't need it at any point, but I hope that you do uh, seek out the course itself. Um, Ed, is there anything else that you wanted to add? Uh, no, I just appreciate uh, you having me and uh, just want to let you know that anybody wants the course, we're here to teach it. So, you know, more than willing to uh, uh, have people contact us and we'll get it happen. Yeah, well, uh, we'll put the the class, the website in the show notes. So anyone who's interested can uh, check it out after you guys take a listen. And this has been really great. And I really appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you very much for having me. And I appreciate it. Thanks. So for The Overrun, I'm Anna Ryan. Everybody stay safe. <laughs>